Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 357 of the show. And today I've got Michelle Hung, who is joining me, and we're going to be talking about how to manage money for teenagers. If you're a youth, what you can do. If you're a parent, what can you do? What can you do? Because I feel like often we just talk about adults, and although, yes, when you were a teenager, there's not a lot you can do. You know, you do for most things have to be 18 or older, but there's some things that you can do. There's some things that we're going to be talking about that in this episode. So in case you don't know, Michelle Hung is the author of two books. Um, Her first book is called The Sassy Investor, and her newest book is called Investing for Teens, How to Save, Invest, and Grow Money. And she is a a fee-only financial planner, and she's taught thousands of students and clients how to plan for their financial future and invest in the stock market to build a lifetime of wealth. And she is also a CFA charter holder, a chartered financial analyst is what that stands for, and has spent over seven years working in investment banking and venture capital prior to starting her career in personal finance and financial education. And also, if you're curious, on her website, thesassyinvestor.ca, she has a free masterclass on how to build your first $100,000 investment portfolio. So you can check that out at thesassyinvestor.ca slash investing dash masterclass. But yeah, we're going to be talking about some uh, great, interesting things. I know you're going to love this episode. Um, and uh, yeah, but before I, of course, get to that interview, a few words I first want to share about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by The Globe and Mail. Although there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the economy, interest rates, housing prices, and inflation right now, one thing you can be certain about is there's never been a better time to invest in your own financial knowledge. Surrounding yourself with quality information and diverse opinions from The Globe and Mail, Canada's leading source of business and investing news, will better equip you to navigate this year and help you make confident decisions. Globeandmail.com offers an expansive array of personal finance content, newsletters, and tools like the RRSP Tax Savings Calculator that go well beyond just business news and commentary. And for a limited time, The Globe is offering unrestricted access to globeandmail.com for just $75 a year plus tax for your first year. For full details, visit globeandmail.com slash podcast. Once again, visit globeandmail.com slash podcast to start investing in yourself today. Welcome to the More Money Podcast, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jessica, for having me here. I'm so excited. Me too. Episode. Me too. Me too. And I'm especially excited because well, you have two books out: the Sassy Invest, uh, the Sassy Investor, which is your original book. When did that come out? Not too too long ago. I feel like. Uh, yeah, it wasn't too long ago. It was published in early 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you came out with a second book recently, Investing for Teens, How to Save, Invest, and Grow Money. I'm so excited to dive into that topic because I get questions all the time um, from you know parents um, or grandparents about, you know, they're really interested in the world of personal finance and investing, and they want to be able to teach their, you know, kids or grandkids about investing. And there isn't a lot of information or or, or it's it's mm-hmm. difficult to find that information. So I'm so excited that you have a book specifically on that topic. But before we really dive in, do you want to kind of share a little bit about yourself? I know, you know, you have been uh, on you know my social medias uh, uh, for a while, been following you for quite a while, but you're a, a fee-only financial planner and a CFA charter holder um, here in Canada. And, you know, I know you do lots of investing coaching. Do you want to kind of share a little bit about, you know, your journey, how you got to, to where you are now running your own show? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I started off in corporate finance, investment banking. Like I graduated with a finance degree, um, sorry, math degree, specializing in finance from the University of Waterloo. So I thought I was just, you know, like I thought I was going to be doing corporate finance for the rest of my life, but of course not. <laughs> um, everyone's plans get derailed and, you know, it was just like wishful thinking. And I was ambitious uh, when I was in my 20s. But um, by the time I was like in my early 30s, I had been laid off from my job. Um, and I was in a long-term relationship, actually. It was over like almost a 12-year relationship. So I was practically married. Um, so that ended. And, you know, it was just a huge like reality check and life just hit me in the face and you know that was a good uh that was a that was a, an interesting turning point in my life and I got to be able to assess and reevaluate what I really wanted to do and one of the basically like my saving grace was you know having um a six-figure investment portfolio built and no and because of that I wasn't in a rush to get a job. I was in, in a rush to go back to work. And on top of that, I, at that time, my nine-year-old dog fell really ill and I had to Aww. put him down. So so it was really like mm. a lot of things hit me at that time. But because I was not um, financially strapped, I was okay for money. I was able to take the time to, you know, reset, reevaluate my life and just restart on my own terms on my own timeline and that's when I really realized the importance of you know having a you know a nest egg a cushion which allowed me to you know just do whatever I wanted to do so after spending almost seven years in investment banking you know I was exhausted and of course that year that I was um, laid off I was like you know what I kind of went on a little bit of a hiatus took a couple of vacations on my own and just really was able to take care of myself and finally figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and I realized you know even over the years People were asking me, what should I invest in? What should I invest in? And a lot of times I'd be like, yeah, you know, just pick some stocks, right? And I actually started off writing a book on how to pick stocks. And then I quickly realized, okay, most people should not be picking their own stocks. <laughs> at, <laughs> yes. at least not at, yeah, at least yeah. not at first. Um, so that's what I teach now. But at the very beginning, I'm like, okay, what is the bare minimum people need to do? Because most people, a lot of people weren't even investing, period. So it's like, okay, at the very minimum, earn an average market return, you know, buy some exchange trade funds, some ETFs. They're a lot cheaper than, you know, the tra traditional mutual funds um, offered in Canada. So I started off uh, writing a book and then I built a business, my entire business around it. And that's where, that's when I started working towards um, my CFP, like becoming a financial planner and coaching people and teaching people. So I wanted to, like I created an, where the Sassy Investor is an educational platform first. Um, and I want to make sure that, Everyone knows what's happening with their money. Um, even if you're working one on with one with me, I'm like, you have to understand what's happening with your investments. Even if you don't manage your own money, at least, and you go to an advisor, at least you'll know the right questions to ask. So that was my focus, and that's how I basically built this platform. That's amazing. I'm curious when um, you know working with people one on one, or even at the beginning when you were talking to your friends, were there a lot of similar questions they were asking. Like, I find that all the time. Like, oh, wow, everyone's just asking about that. Or um, the other side of it is, you know, a lot of people do start out working with an advisor just because usually they like just work with mom and dad's, you know, guy or gal and mm -hmm. or, or they just, you know, go to the bank. They're like, I need help. And um, what I found over the years is it's, it's fascinating because 
you know, a lot of people just expect, oh, yeah, I'm going to hand over my money to this person. They're going to manage it well. But yeah, like you said, you actually still need that foundation of, uh, you know, investment education to know the right questions to ask. But I, I'm curious, what were mm-hmm. some of the things at the start when you were kind of building your platform that you're like, I really need to focus on this because no, like people keep on getting this wrong or they were asking the wrong mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, exactly. And one of the common things that people do get wrong, um, especially for women, mm-hmm. like I don't want to like kind of zone in on like, mm-hmm. you know, it's. I don't even, I don't want to stereotype, but it's just like, for some reason, it's just, we're so risk averse, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even think that's a stereotype. I think that's like, I think that's true. There, right? There's definitely some data uh, and I, I, and I, yeah. I kind of, yeah, I, I feel like that. And I feel like, and I, I, yeah, I wonder what your perspective uh, is. It, usually it's because we, like, this is what I've found over the years is we assume that we're risk averse because we also hear that stat a lot. Oh, women are risk averse. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're risk averse. And there's definitely some like legitimate reasons. It's like, well, we can't take on as much risk because we earn less or we have more responsibilities, mm-hmm. take care of the family and things like that. But I think also part of it is we were never included in these conversations. So we know, we yeah. don't know much, but you know, it seems like our male counterparts know or have more information or they're a lot more confident, but I mean, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. talk it, but yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. So the risk aversion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, th- so what ends up happening is they're in pro- they end up in uh, funds or investments that are just they're not taking enough risk, and I think that's a huge risk, right? Because you end up selling yourself short on so much returns down the road, right? Like I see, you know, um, people in you know people in their twenties coming to me, and they're in you know investments meant for people in their sixties and seventies. I'm like, what are you doing? And then they're like, my money's not growing. It's like, of course it's not growing because you're you have so much fixed income in your portfolio. And when you know, and I ask them like, how did you end up in this, right? And they're like, oh well, the person, the advisor asked me, what's your risk? level what's your do you are you are you a risky person are you not risky it's like yeah i don't want to take any risk i don't i don't want to lose money so yeah because like, well, risk sounds like a bad thing right because exactly. yeah because i feel yeah I, I found that too back many years when i worked with an advisor it's some of the terminology that they use or they just don't take the time to actually explain what risk means and like you exactly. said there's a risk of not taking on enough risk <laughs> that's a risk <laughs> Absolutely. And then it's like, oh, well, five, 10 years have passed and then you haven't made any money. But meanwhile, you could have like more than doubled your money. So that's that is a very, very common mistake I see, um, especially with women. And it's kind of like a psychological thing as well, a behavioral thing. So um, I always like to point to, you know, the show Squid Game. Have yeah, you yeah. seen it? Mm-hmm. So you know how there was that game where they had to pick a number between one and like 14, mm-hmm. right? And the guy in his mind was like, oh, like everyone's going to like go towards the middle because it's safer. They're not first. They're not last. We don't know what's happening. Right. It's the same thing with investing. People just hover around like the middle, like on a scale of one to 10. They're like, oh, OK, we're on a five or six, six or seven. That's safe. Right. But it's like, no, that's like you're going to be in a balance fund. And again, that's going to be like a risk level more the gear towards people nearing retirement or in retirement right and then that's what often ends up happening so it's all almost a behavioral thing people just hover around the middle because it's like deemed safer right but it's like there's really nothing wrong with picking a risk level of 10 and frankly um a 10 out of 10 is still considered a medium level risk right if especially if you're with a robo advisor because they're going to be sticking you in a whole bunch of etfs and 
most of those ETFs are, if you go to their websites, it says it's a medium risk level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a trick that um, a lot of people don't talk about. No. Um, and I, yeah, like you that. said, I don't think a lot of them understand what those risk levels mean. Or if you choose something that's less risky, what you're actually giving up for that security or, you know, kind of comfort of like, well, uh, you know, because I, I I think there's just a lot of fear in the industry, whereas yes. like they just yeah. really use that as a tactic to to encourage, you know, oh, you need to hire me because I'm the only one who could manage your investments. You just don't know enough. And you're like, well, actually, we can learn. We can all learn this. And I, I think that's exactly. part of the reason we both got into <laughs> financial education is we felt like we were kind of shortchanged maybe, you know, in the industry. And we're like, well, we we can learn this. And then we can also teach a bunch of other people. So I'm, I'm curious when you, you got the idea to, to write your book, The Sassy Investment or what did you really want to convey to readers? Um, with the Sassy Investor, I guess it was based on my experience, you know, coming out of a relationship, getting laid off. It's like I wanted, you know, it, it was about, you know, independence and, you know, taking my power back. I remember going through the interview process, um, getting rejected by so many employers. Um, and then I was, you know, nobody likes rejection. Of course, I was like, you know, I was feeling really down. But then I was like, wait a minute, like we put way too much power in the hands of others, whether it's with, you know, our partners, employers, and we have we create this dependency. It's like, no, we have to take our power back. And, you know, to a point where it's like, you have a cushion and, you know, you don't, if something happens, like, you know, you're getting harassed at work, you're not happy in your job, you can just, you have the choice to like pick up and leave, right? And same with a relationship, right? If you're in a crappy relationship, um, it's like you have the, you know, the resources to just pick up and leave and not have to be stuck in a relationship. So my first book was based around that, which was why it was geared towards women, because I, you know, in going through my journey and my healing process, I realized you know, a lot of women were unable, they're unable to detach from, you know, their abusive spouses because simply because they were financially dependent on them. I'm like, that's not fun. And, you know, that's not the way to go. So it's like, no, we have to do something about this. So that's what my um, first book was uh, based around. And that was like my experience. That's amazing. And I think that's, that's super helpful. I've always felt how important, like, I don't know where I got it, because it's not like I really had a personal experience that led me to this conclusion. But I've just never Mm -hmm. wanted to depend on anyone, whether what that was, you know, a partner or an employer, I think maybe it's my, my husband thinks it's because I just don't like authority. But (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's true. That's true, too. That's fine. That could be it. But yeah, it's that that (laughs) that financial independence piece is so key. Because yeah, I've run into so many people that have been unable to leave situations or stayed longer in a, a situation that wasn't healthy, because they just didn't have the means. And I feel like, especially as women, typically we are the people that, you know, end up in those situations. So we need to figure out how can I eliminate that because that's just not um, healthy. So, uh, so with that, you obviously kind of uh, took a, a bit of a turn and did a very different topic investing for teens. I'm curious, did you get a lot of demand from your audience about, hey, there's not a lot of info about this. I would love to see a book from you on this topic. Yeah, there were definitely questions around, um, you know, how should I invest for my kids, my teens? And like, even after I published my first book, I was like, okay, my next book in my pipeline, it's going to be geared towards um, teens, like young adults, like just before they get into, they make a like a huge financial decision and that is going to university, right? Because I've seen, you know, like I know, like at least in Canada, our student loans are 
a little bit less like forgiving compared to our like U.S. counterparts, right? So, but still, a lot of people we you know a lot of people are still graduating with thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars of debt in the states. We see people with six figures worth of student loans by the time they graduate, and then you know I hear all these stories about oh my gosh, I I didn't even get to finish school, I changed subjects, but you know I I owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you know they're in a they're working for a nonprofit organization or something like that, right? And I was like, okay, no, 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 we have to make better financial decisions when we're young because we're so young and all of a sudden it's like make a decision and there's going to be some significant financial impacts like somewhere yeah, for decades down the road. to come and you're like i'm 18 exactly. or 17 i don't know <laughs> exactly yeah we're like not even legal we can't even drink here right yeah. or even like in the states so mm-hmm. it's like how do you like how are you like how are kids supposed to make good decisions when they don't know what's you know, what the consequences are. And certainly when parents aren't teaching them these things, right? So um, it, I I found that, you know, this is a gap that I wanted to fill. It's like, okay, before you make a decision to, you know, go to school, take on $50,000 worth of debt, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is how much it's going to cost. This is how you can best prepare for it. And, you know, get into a subject and this is you know it's controversial but it's like pick something where you know you know at the end of the four years you can get a good paying job where you're able to pay it back and you don't end up working at like a starbucks or something like that nothing wrong with working at starbucks but you're you have like thousands of dollars worth of loans you want to make sure you have a good salary think about the career yeah and i feel like that was something that was never really, spe- I don't know. It was more just like, please just go to university because, you get know, me and my sisters, yeah. were, it, we were the first generation to go to university and get degrees. And so mm-hmm. that was the goal is just to get any degree yeah. by any means. But then, you know, then you finish school and you're like, wait, how do I get a job? Or I like really didn't think, I mean, I, I was thinking about a career, but I don't think I was actually thinking of some of the impacts of choosing, like for me, it was a career in the film industry. And then I finished school. I'm like, oh, I actually don't want a career in the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't, I don't want to be a starving artist, you know, filmmaker, or I don't want to work on film sets. So shoot, mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have uh, exactly. rethought some of this. I mean, it all worked out in the yeah. end, but it was, you know, mm-hmm. took me a lot longer, I think, to hit my stride than some people who maybe were able to kind of mm-hmm. make those decisions before or during university. And yeah, like you said, there's nothing where, you know, it's, 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 it's awful just thinking that people are spending four or five years of their life in university and tens of thousands of dollars and graduating and then either wanting to totally switch careers right away or mm-hmm. or can't find a career because, you know, you yeah. can't get really a job in philosophy, not a job. Exactly. You know? exactly. You know? and, and it's OK to switch careers. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you you know, if you were you, if you had an interest, you took an interest, you tried it out. That's fine. Right. Like, of course, because you don't want to regret not doing it. Right. But it's like factoring in be being more financial conscious of you know the consequences of switching of getting into it beforehand and just knowing that okay where when do I pull the plug if I'm not interested what kind of jobs can I do in the you know afterwards or even in the mean in the meantime right like of course it's really common for kids to be working while they were in university um and I was really fortunate to be to be in a co-op program where I was attending school for four months and then working full-time for four months. And that really helped pay for um, a lot of my schooling. I, I But but nonetheless, I was poor with my money in university. <laughs> I was really crappy. I accumulated debt because, again, I didn't have the yeah. tools. Yeah. And I just, like, I was with a partner who loved credit cards and it was okay. And, 
you know, that got me into a, a bit of trouble, um, even though I was making good money and I should have been able to like pay for my tuition and everything, but I didn't. I just spent so much money and I was irresponsible. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think too, because I hear usually like the, you know, people that have, especially, you know, cr- lingering credit card debt and they're much older, they're in their 30s and 40s, it usually starts, yeah, at those younger ages, you know, uh, college or, 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 you know, in your early 20s. And I think part of it is because yeah we we never got those tools so hopefully that does those that curriculum does enter schools a lot earlier but i think part of it is this is the first time we've ever had money whether it's even just credit yeah we're like this is the first time i've had it and so if you get yeah it is kind of like you know tasting candy for the first time you're gonna like, oh, get yeah. a little excited and go a little crazy <laughs> unless exactly. you had something <laughs> you know like for me I didn't, and I think part of it was because I had to pay for school myself and I did have some tools I got from my mom. I saw her budgeting it. So I, so I learned frugal Mm -hmm. living, but there's a lot of things I didn't learn that I had to then Mm -hmm. make up for when I was in my twice. So I I always kind of think back to like, where does this all start? Because so many people, but like yourself, you were able to kind of recognize that, learn what you didn't know. And now you are where you are today teaching others. But a lot of people may not have had, there's that thing that kind of clicked or that, you know, experience that kind of changed things. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the difficult thing is, you know, people like, Oh, I wish, you know, things were different. And I learned this a lot sooner. Um, but I guess, again, that's part of the reason why you you have this book that I'm sure, you know, adults can read as well. It's not just for teens. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But besides, you know, really thinking about the investment you're making in yourself going to post-secondary, obviously, it depends on, you know, what country you're coming from, uh, you know, those different regulations, to, you know, especially, um, you know, you know, age of majority and things like that. But I think, like, what I've recognized is a lot of parents don't quite know, you know, what some of the the things that they should be aware of. Maybe they're getting asked by their children, like, hey, I want to start investing because there's some guy on YouTube that's talking about it. How do I get started? Or I'm getting a lot, or, you know, during 2020 when everyone was, you know, asking everyone under the sun, hey, how do I, you know, triple X my money? Everyone was just like going a little bonkers. I was getting a lot of questions from young people asking how to get started. And I think, yeah, you know, kind of touched on this limited information and a lot of misinformation. Do you want to kind of speak to what are some key things you know, parents and, you know, uh, young adults, teens should know about, you know, starting their investing journey. Absolutely. So in like the rules, uh, um, like I know the book is written from the con- in the context of uh, Americans and U.S. accounts. But of course, today we'll speak um, like, you know, from the point of view of Canadians and mm-hmm. Canadian accounts. Oh, there's so, American listeners. Uh, so I'm sure people would be like, oh, what's that? Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, like, in up here, it's a it's a little bit uh, trickier because you have to be, uh, you know, age of majority to, um, you know, open up a TFSA, and then naturally for parents that want to invest on their invest for their kids, um, you know, they, they turn to an RESP. Um, so that I, I would say that would be the first thing that um, you know parents should do is that because it's going to be their biggest expense, like growing, like as soon as they hit adult age, right? What is it? It's probably not buying a house, but it's going to be their college university tuition. So I would say, you know, opening up an RESP, you're going to get a mat, uh, a grant from the government as well. So there's some free money there. Um, and it's a great way to, you know, start investing for your kids' future and, and helping them pay like a big 
um, expense when they hit, you know, 17, uh, 17, 18 years old, whenever they go off to university. Um, And then, of course, there's, you know, what happens, and I get questions with, you know, what happens if I want to invest outside of an RESP, right? TFSA is just out of reach for them because they have to be... um, I believe it's 18, eight, yeah, 18, yeah, um, 18 years old. So then you get, so there's something called an informal trust that you can open for your child. A grandparent can open um, that type of account as well. So there are like some tricky rules, but for the most part, it's still um, a good way for uh, parents, grandparents to invest um, for their kids. And the best way to do it, I say, is get them involved, you know, let them help, you know, teach them how to invest by, you know, allowing them to make some decisions. And the first thing I, I would say is, you know, how do you, when people ask me, like, how do I teach my kid, my teen to invest? Like, well, invest in what you know, you know, the biggest, the greatest investors in the world, Warren Buffett, P- Peter Lynch, they say the same thing, invest in what you know. And same with, um, for kids and teenagers, like, what, what do they know? Like a lot of the things that they buy that they're interested in, they're, for the most part, they are publicly traded companies and they can invest in them, right? So I think that's the easiest way to start off with teaching your kid or teen to invest. And that is asking them, what do you like, right? Oh, like, I like McDonald's. Great. Invest in McDonald's stock. You know, buy a couple of shares of that. Um, and it's like, what else do you like? Oh, you know, I like Google. Okay, buy some Alphabet shares, right? Or, you know, like, it's all these things that um, we are surrounded by, we're familiar with. And that's why these companies make so much money. It's because we, you know, a lot, we all spend money on these companies, right? So, and I always say, well, we might as well get some of it back. It's like getting a lifelong discount on everything we're spending money on. And kids and like, you know, teens, they go and spend money. So why not teach them, um, you know, to get that lifelong discount and invest in these companies? No, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, there's no better gift. I think not just like the investing side things, but like, yeah, having them involved because it's too often like I hear from people, yeah, in their their 20s, 30s, 40s being like, well, I've never bought stocks or an ETF or I've never opened up an account before. And, you know, the longer you wait to do it, the more the bigger it kind of seems that that it it seems a a bit scary and daunting because it seems so new. So if you can kind of integrate that or introduce that concept, and this is how you open up a discount brokerage account and, and show them how to do it, it demystifies it and makes it less scary. And then they'll feel more confident to continue their education and learning and making, you know, good decisions. But you mentioned that, you know, the book is very more focused on um, in the U.S. And, you know, we do have uh, some U.S. listeners. So I'm, I'm curious, what are the the big differences compared to like if you're, you know, want to invest as a young adult or a teen in the U.S.? Are there more options? It always seems like there's more options. <laughs> Yes, that's true. They do have uh, some more options. So even for um, teens that are working, like say they're 14 years old, 15 years old, um, when when they work, they can start contributing to their own type of like Roth IRA account. Um, So that's a huge huge, um, benefit um, for uh, in terms of that. And it's more like you know, there's up here with the informal trust, there's a lot of like, I guess, scary warnings and stuff like that. But I guess it's because it's just less popular. Whereas in the like in the US, it's like, oh, a kid can just open up, um, you know, a type of Roth IRA for them if they start working and they can start contributing money and investing. Right. 
in either case, whether you're in the U.S. or Canada, you need adult supervision, right? So it's just a matter of um, what type of account you're going to be selecting. And you, the parent still has to be responsible for the the child's account. You can't just hand it over, right? You hand it over when they reach the age of majority. So that's um, that's there's that's one account that's really beneficial for um teens in the U.S., whereas, like, in Canada, it's, like, well, RESPs or, you know, informal trust, right? And it has nothing to do with what kind of income you're earning and stuff like that. But it the taxation rules um, are... Like there, there's some taxation rules in terms of where, like the sources of the source of money, right? Gifts versus, you know, child benefit money, right? Those things will be taxed a little bit differently. So it's just like mm-hmm. a lot of rules that you yeah. have to read up on, mm-hmm. um, and that's what you can just look up before you make a decision to open the type of account that's most suitable for uh, your mm-hmm. children. And I assume too, in the, in the U.S., there's a type of account that's similar to the RESP, which is more focused on saving for college. So it's the 529 college savings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's a similar to the RESP. And again, lots of rules, states, like depending on the state you're living in, um, there could be grants and stuff like that, um, that kind of match what you're putting, like your contributions. But yeah, so depending on the state you're in, it, it's it's different, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously, it's, it seems like it's, it's a bit easier to actually start investing as a teen when you've got those uh, limited options, because like you said, you need adult supervision. Um, but once you hit the age of majority, then you you know, can kind of do it on your own. And that's great. You get that freedom. But you know, I've definitely seen, especially over the years, as it's become so easy to open up an account you know, an app that will let you to trade for free. Uh, you know, a lot of young people are getting into it for the right reasons, maybe to you know build wealth over time, but aren't necessarily making the best choices or the information that they're getting are from, you know, questionable sources like yes. Reddit or Reddit. <laughs> Instagram or TikTok. I'm curious, what, what are some like really important things that young people as they're starting their investing journey should keep in mind so they can avoid... Those quite those really expensive mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the mistakes are um, driven by just not being educated and not understanding what the risks and what the consequences are. And yeah, so for those that are like, you know, if we teach them, look, if you invest in one individual stock, you put all your money in it, and you borrow money to invest in it, it could very well go to zero. Whereas if you're diversified, let's just say you invest in, you know, an ETF or a mutual fund, your money um, will likely not go to zero. So um, yes, there's a potential for that stock to go, you know, five, 10 times, but you can get wiped out so fast um, if it doesn't work out. And especially if you're buying into hype, if you're buying into um, people, um, you know, pumping up a stock on Reddit, you know, that's manipulation, right? So just teaching them manipulation, um, the consequences of investing everything in one one stock, investing in hype. um, And just like, if you can tune out the noise and stick with your strategy, um, and that's what this book teaches, right? It's like, this is your strategy, like slow and steady wins the race, you're going to invest consistently, you're going to be diversified, you don't listen to anything else out there. And people listen to everything else out there is because they haven't learned the correct strategy, they haven't educated themselves, and they're just looking for, they're like, oh my gosh, here's fast money. Who doesn't like fast money? Yeah, like, everyone's looking for a shortcut, you know? You know? Exactly, mm-hmm. right? And naturally, and fine, like, it, mm-hmm. it's fair, right? But it's, if you know 
that path is not the way to go. You're going to stick to your strategy and all of this will not matter. Mm-hmm. And that's how you ultimately end up being a successful investor. Mm-hmm. I know it's whatever it, <laughs> I have these conversations. It's like, I feel like everyone is looking for that secret recipe or just like, what's that, that the tip that will make me, you know, just surpass everybody. It's like, listen, investing actually isn't that complicated. It can be, it's actually pretty boring, but the hard part is actually following through with those boring guidelines. Exactly. <laughs> Most people Absolutely. can't stick it to it, right? Because it's boring. Yeah, it's, it is. And I say, you know what? The only thing that be that should be boring is your portfolio. Don't make your life boring. Don't right? have a boring life. Yeah, life have a boring is, portfolio. Yeah, life is complicated <laughs> enough. Why try to include that in your investment portfolio? Like life is exactly. stressful enough, believe you me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, what I found, and I'm sure any young person will like listen to this and they'll still, you know, they'll want to explore, they'll want to do some things. I mean, that's okay, too. But just know, I mean, my, my one thing that I tell everyone is like, just don't invest. If you're you're doing something, some kind of speculation, don't do it. Don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Because sometimes exactly. you, you will lose it. And it'll mm-hmm. be a very uh, hard thing to swallow. But then at least you're like, well, at least it's not actually going to affect me that much. Um, that basically anyone who's invested in one of those crazy cryptos, coins that don't exist anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know, hopefully uh, you didn't invest more than you could have lost. And now it's a, a learning lesson. <laughs> That's right. And hopefully it wasn't a lot. Hopefully it wasn't a lot. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious, Did you get, have you gotten a lot of questions, especially from young people about, I mean, I feel like everything's quite like, it's not as loud as it used to be about NFTs and crypto, but have you gotten a lot of those questions from young people? They were really cool. And now no one's talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Nothing's happening. Everything's like going down. And, you know, all I see in the headlines are, you know, like people getting arrested, like the cryptos that are failing. And so I'm getting absolutely no questions around crypto and NFTs. At one point I was, that's when everything was, you know, going really well. People were making so much money and it was like all hype. Like on TikTok, all I saw were like NFT um, videos popping up on my feed. I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, look how much I made. Make $36,000 in four days. Make $8,000 in two days. I'm like, this is so bad. Like, it's terrible. Like, this is like, this is driving people to be, you know, greedy. It's mm-hmm. sucking them in. And then it's it's just so bad and i hate that right but there's nothing i can do about it like there's that's just the way the world works right and that's social media for you that's like that's the noise and yeah if you want to give it a try and put you know whatever a couple hundred bucks you can afford to lose you want to test it out go for it right but it's it always the questions come when everything is going so well but you know that it's too late when everyone and their like neighbors and their moms are already investing in it, right? Happened with crypto, happened with Bitcoin in 2016, 20, like 2016, 2017. It happened with all the meme stops. Like everyone was asking me about uh, GameStop, AMC, Nokia, all these, you know, company questionable qu- yeah. companies um and their valuations so. yeah so it's it's really it's it's during these times of quiet maybe that should be that's kind of the lesson yeah. right you're like hmm, yeah. why is it so quiet so well yeah exactly. it's hard to i think focus on some of that like tried and true investment you know advice and those strategies when there is so much noise so it's you know part of the thing i think is really um understanding when it gets too noisy how to mute it because lots of exactly. it's just trash <laughs> 
rest of it's just exactly. trash. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And when this get when everything and the media is talking about it, mm-hmm. you know it's time to stay away or if you already own it, it's time to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like it's mm-hmm. cuz eventually it all comes crashing down, especially if it um if it went up really really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um what goes up fast will come crashing down mm-hmm. just as fast. Uh, one last question, I'm just kind of curious cuz you worked in the industry and now you are, you know, running your own business. Has your kind of outlook or investment strategy changed at all or is what you kind of did back then you're still kind of doing it yeah it's the same strategy um because i guess the stock markets are just really they're just driven by human behavior Mm -hmm. and we haven't changed all that much (laughs) um over like like centuries right so so naturally it's you know, we're seeing this, you know, we're approaching maybe, you know, like a recession, whatever. We had like a huge bubble um, because of all the money that was printed out from um, uh, from COVID. And now there's like they're easing, like there's quantitative easing. It's the same cyclical economic cycles, the same cyclical behavior, human behaviors. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, s- Slow and steady wins the race. Don't buy into overvalued stocks. For example, everyone was so into like Tesla and everything. And look at it. It is down so hard. And just when you, and sometimes I do, like, of course, I question myself. It's like, oh my gosh, is this stock going to keep going up forever? It's I know. Like, no, no, it and does you're like, not wait a minute. Change. What did I just changed. say? <laughs> exactly. It hasn't changed. If something's like absolutely inflated, everything will eventually correct itself. There's no such thing as something being so incredibly, you know, like, unicorn valued and just excellent and it's going to produce the superior returns forever it just, that's just not the case right so that's why the principles of um you know if you're buying individual stocks don't you know make sure the valuation is good um if you're not buying into stocks and you're just investing for you know the long term you should be investing for the long term um just continue like you know investing on a consistent basis averaging down the dollar co- dollar cost averaging that will work that is ultimately the best um investment strategy it's proven to be the best there's no other strategy that beats that strategy i love that so yeah just keep it simple and be patient mm-hmm. that's you know exactly. the best advice i think but again e- easy to say hard to follow through so really just Absolutely. i mean you've mentioned um behavior uh you know a couple times and i'm like yeah that is i think the missing piece so if you feel like you've listened to everything that you know and, and heard all the investment advice i'd say and you still feel like there's some kind of missing piece start learning more about behavioral economics and just the, the psychology yes. of things because that is the thing that that <laughs> makes us to do stupid yeah. things right? yeah you're you are your own worst enemy when <laughs> it comes to investing it's not the stock markets it's not individual mm-hmm. companies it's not blogs out there it's you because you, you control ultimately yeah. when to hit that sell button and that's when people fail and lose money it's like they can't control themselves so it's like at the end of the day just like you know what you need to check yourself yeah just check yourself yourself. especially if you know this Mm -hmm. and you feel you feel crappy you feel like oh my gosh am i gonna be losing money just check yourself right it happens like we all have to do it because we see stuff it's like oh my gosh it's something's crashing and you know we're invested but we just check ourselves right we know what to do but we feel something different It's just, we just have to control our actions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before I let you go, where can um, people follow you, uh, grab copies of your two books or, you know, seek your services? 
For sure. So I am on Instagram, so at the Sassy Investor. You can find me there and on TikTok um, at the Sassy Investor. Um, my both of my books are on Amazon, so you can do a search for that on Amazon. And um, if you want to, you know, book a call with me, work one on one. My website is www.thesassyinvestor.ca. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show and sharing all your no wisdom. Problem. I think this is a really uh, important information and just a, a reminder for, yeah, as we enter 2023 and who knows what's going to happen this year, but I feel like we all need a good, yeah, we need to check ourselves this year. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know what, how scary this year will be. It's been a, it's been a roller coaster a couple of years. So let's just That's check right. ourselves. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. And that was episode 357 of the More Money Podcast with Michelle Hung. Make sure to check her out at the sassyinvestor.ca is her website, but you can also find her on Twitter at sassy underscore investor and on Instagram at the sassy investor. Uh, she's also called the sassy investor on YouTube and TikTok. So make sure to check her out and also check out her two books, The Sassy Investor and Investing for Teens, How to Save, Invest and Grow Money. I am going to be giving away a copy of her latest book, Investing for Teens. So make sure to go to jessicamorehouse.com slash con and you can enter to win her book and also a few other books as well from some previous authors that have been on this season of the show. Um, and is there any other things that I missed? Oh yeah, just to reiterate, she does have a free masterclass, how to build your first 100K investment portfolio. You can check that out at thesassyinvestor.ca slash investing dash masterclass. And I will link to everything that I just mentioned in the podcast show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 357. And again, if you want to check out the show notes for any episode you've ever listened listen to a few different things you can do. You go to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. Uh, you can go to jessicamorehouse.com slash the number of the episode, whatever you prefer. That's what you got. Now, I've got a few things I want to share with you, so do not go away. But here's just a few words I want to share about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by The Globe and Mail. Want to better understand economic trends and policy decisions and how they impact everything from housing markets to employment? Or maybe you want to take control of your finances by learning strategies for reducing debt, managing expenses, saving for a home, and identifying investment opportunities in this unpredictable marketplace. From explainers covering basics like how to invest with limited cash or how to pick a robo-advisor, to newsletters, tools like watch list and stock screener, The Globe has everything you need to invest in yourself and your financial future. And for a limited time, The Globe is offering unrestricted access to globeandmail.com for just $75 a year plus tax for your first year. For full details, visit globeandmail.com slash podcast. Once again, visit globeandmail.com slash podcast to start investing in yourself today. Okay, first things first. Um, so really exciting. Tomorrow, I've got a bonus episode for you. That's right. Uh, a really important episode, uh, quite honestly, because it is all about, uh, especially during tax season, which we are in now. It is full swing tax time, y'all. Are you doing your taxes? We'll talk about that in a future episode, I'm sure. Um, so uh, I have a guest on, uh, Lee Tynan, who actually did a YouTube video with about a year ago. And it was all about um, cybersecurity and, uh, you know, just how to protect yourself from getting scammed. So 
make sure to listen to tomorrow's episode, a special bonus episode. But besides that, other things that uh, I want to let you know about. So of course, I reminded you that there's a book giveaway going on. But also since, uh, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, managing your money and investing in this episode, in case you don't know, I have an investing course is called Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. And it's been around for over two years now. And it's been amazing to see the students enter the course, especially during, you know, such an interesting time in the past couple of years, quite honestly. Um, and really, you know, most of the honestly, most people enter the course because they either haven't started investing, have no idea where to start. And so they want a specific guide to, you know, guide them step by step on what to do. Or they have been working with an advisor at a bank for a long time, and they are unhappy with the returns and just realized how much they're paying in fees. and They don't feel like they're getting any value. Believe me, I've literally talked to at this point, probably, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people about this, who've had the same experience, and they, they are tired of it. And they want to learn uh, how they can do it on their own, and also how they can better understand what they're currently investing in. And if they can kind of call BS on their advisor, because I feel like we have all been there. So if you want to learn more about uh, the course I've built, it is, of course, a, a, a course. It is, of course, a course. Oh, my gosh, Jessica. It is, of course, a course about uh, passive investing, my kind of preferred strategy for investing, all about those index funds, baby. Uh, you can find more information at jessicamorehouse.com slash course. And in case you also don't know, and you are looking for a way to improve your finances, the best way to get started and get organized with your money is crazy, I know, having a budget. And I've got a bunch of budget spreadsheets on my website um, for pretty much every scenario you can think of, whether you're self-employed, whether you're a couple and one of you has a side hustle, uh, literally anything you can think of, I probably have a budget spreadsheet specifically for you. It'll help you create that budget, track your spending, track your net worth, give you a, a bunch of reports to see how you're doing in your progress. You can find all of that at jessicamorehouse.com slash shop. So I feel like that's probably uh, enough. Again, I, I'm going to see you back here tomorrow with that bonus episode. So uh, thanks for listening. Shout out to my podcast editor, Matt Rideout, as always. And I will see you back here tomorrow. So have a good evening and see you bright and early tomorrow. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.